edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Welcome to this episode of With All Due Respect, where the host believes if you've liked our podcast episode so far, you ain't seen nothing yet. Greetings, I am your host, Andrew Halcrow. I'm your engineer on this crazy train with me as always is my main man, Van Sanders. Mr. Sanders, your thoughts on the day? The day is good, man. Um, I'm really actually looking forward to the announcements that we have regarding the future of the show at the end of the episode. I am excited as well. Looking forward to those closing comments when we share our future plans. As always, I'd like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting this podcast on their website and remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear on this podcast are mine and mine alone and in no way, shape, or form represent the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. Today on With All Due Respect, in politics, we talk power cost equalization and how Governor Mike Dunleavy is using rural Alaska as a pawn to get him some of that sweet, sweet constitutional convention. In life, we review three of the top women's fashions for summer 2021, and we don't do it alone. In the first of what will become a reoccurring segment on the show, I invite our own fashionista, Maya Nolan Partnow, to debate what's hot and what's not. And in closing comments, with all due respect, is 25 episodes old. And Van and I think it's time we move out of our parents' basement. We feel it's time to refresh the brand. So, in closing comments, Van and I will discuss some big changes coming to the podcast. But first, let's talk some politics. Politics. And now, for some politics. This year's state budget, which went into effect July 1st, does not include funding for power cost equalization. Power cost equalization, or PCE as it's known, lowers the cost of electricity in rural Alaska to make it comparable to more urban areas like Anchorage, Fairbanks, and Juneau. Now, I'm going to digress for just a minute to explain my own experience with PCE funding. In 1999, I was 10 days into my freshman year as a Republican State House member when my comments questioning PCE funding caused an eruption on the House floor. I mean, I'm talking a major eruption. I mean, I'm talking a Mr. Speaker, we need an at-ease-now eruption. My comments represented the worst of ignorance, the worst from a freshman who should have listened more and talked less. Thankfully, there were rural lawmakers, like the late Albert Kukesh, who helped me understand the importance of PCE funding. A year later, I was one of 34 House members who voted to capitalize the PCE endowment. So, prior to Governor Dunleavy being elected in 2018, the PCE endowment has functioned without issue or controversy for decades. Between 80,000 and 90,000 Alaskans depend on PCE to pay their utilities. They live in nearly 200 communities, some of which are the most economically disadvantaged and high cost in the nation. The PCE endowment pays out about $30 million a year from its endowment. It doesn't require a dime of general funds to support the program, which means the funds don't compete against education funding or the dividend. It is an endowment that pays for itself. Without PCE, rural Alaska could see their utility bills double or triple at month's end, with virtually no notice. Another issue is that PCE actually helps subsidize basic municipal functions. 
For example, providing fresh water and sewer services is incredibly energy intensive, and some communities will be unable to keep doing it without PCE to subsidize. Seriously, Governor Dunleavy is literally putting both people and infrastructure at risk. Now, of course, Governor Dunleavy is publicly saying that he's a champion of PCE. So now I am publicly saying with PCE champions like Dunleavy, who the hell needs an enemy? In 2019, he submitted legislation to dissolve PCE and take the funds for the first time in history. Hashtag Donna Arjuan. Then he had his former attorney general, Hansi McCreepy, write a memo arbitrarily redesignating the funds. Governor Dunleavy has created a crisis where none existed. And by the way, can we just admit right now that the disgraced former attorney general who penned that memo didn't have the best legal mind? Seriously, during his brief stint as AG, the guy's court record smacked to the 1976 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Zero wins, 14 losses. I mean, this guy couldn't lawyer himself out of a wet paper sack, but here he is saying every attorney general before him was wrong on PCE. But the truth is, Governor Dunleavy could settle the case today. He could settle the case today and agree to protect PCE, but instead he's suing, keeping PCE from being funded. For Alaskans, the best analogy for PCE is this is rural Alaska's Southeast Hydro Dam, or it's their subsidized Cook Inlet natural gas. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, urban areas have subsidized natural gas. PCE keeps energy affordable forever. Alaska has plowed billions into such projects for communities all over the state, including billions for drilling credits to keep natural gas affordable from Cook Inlet. Seriously, if this was a hydro dam or a solar farm, we wouldn't threaten to tear it down every year. This crisis is self-made by a governor who is using rural Alaska as a pawn. So, the question is why? Why would a governor who professes to care about rural Alaska so much and whose wife wrote an op-ed promising that rural Alaska would not be left behind leave rural Alaska behind? Because this is part of Dunleavy's grand plan we mentioned in episode 18. This is all part of a grand plan to create chaos and confusion. Now, while you're going about your life, there are forces at work breaking state government in order to tell you that your state government is broken, that education funding is constitutionally broken, that the dividend is constitutionally broken, that PCE is constitutionally broken, that the judiciary is constitutionally broken. But let me remind you, ladies and gentlemen, this state was never broken until Mike Dunleavy was elected governor. Dunleavy's strategy is to create a sense of uncertainty and anger about how Alaska funds education, about how PCE is funded, about how the dividend is funded, about how the judiciary is chosen, all in an attempt to get public support for a constitutional convention. The strategy to get rural Alaskans on board for a constitutional convention is easy. Governor Dunleavy is basically saying, hey, unless we put PCE in the dividend in the Constitution, you'll continue to be at risk. Yeah, he's right. He'll continue to be at risk from dudes like Governor Dunleavy. Governor Dunleavy is using rural Alaskans as a pawn. I mean, come on. There's no doubt about it. Dunleavy's cynical take is that rural Alaska will believe that in order to fix it for good, they'll need to crack open the Constitution. Enter, ladies and gentlemen, the dark clouds. Several months ago, it was reported in the Anchorage Daily News that Glenn Clary, chairman of the Alaska Republican Party, formally resigned to take a job at Liberty University in Virginia, home of Jerry Falwell Jr. and his pool boy. In a message to members of the Republican State Central Committee, Clary wrote that he will become vice president of strategic partners and alliances at Liberty. Quote, that role will entail lobbying federal and state legislators as part of a network of Christian organizations. 
Now, how coincidental is it that Clary leaves to take on this position at the same time Dunleavy is trying to con Alaskans into thinking Alaska's constitution is broken? My opinion, it's not coincidental at all. For the last several years, conservatives in Alaska politics have watched as Alaska has turned purple, and they are worried. Fearing they might be unable to stem the tide change, conservatives are looking to rewrite Alaska's constitution to reflect their 13th century beliefs where women have no rights, Alaskans have no recourse in the courts, religious schools get public funding, and the likes of Dunleavy's disgraced former attorney general get to decide what's moral and what's not. This is the goal. This has always been the goal. So the question for them is how to make it happen. Well, how you make it happen is you raise constitutional questions about everything from how we fund education to how we fund PCE to how we pay the dividend. And then you blast Alaskans with massive amount of lobbying propaganda from outside religious groups, you know, maybe like the one Glenn Clary landed at. This is all an attempt to convince Alaskans that a constitutional convention is the only way to save Alaska. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the grand plan. This is why after decades of there being virtually no constitutional questions about any of these programs, suddenly there are. This is a scam, a plan drawn up on a whiteboard by political religious zealots who want Alaska to become the next conservative wasteland, and PCE funding is leveraged to get there. Meanwhile, the First Lady of Alaska, who promised in writing in February of 2019 that Governor Mike Dunleavy would never leave rural Alaska behind, well, I believe she owes rural Alaska an apology. Not only has her husband left rural Alaska behind, but he's left rural Alaska behind in the dark and without a dividend. And now, let's talk about life. Let's talk about life. All right, let's talk life. This week on Twitter, I saw someone ask about the show, quote, why is there even a life segment? Well, um, as the show's co-host, look, don't quote me on this, but it's probably because we have a life segment. Crazy but true. <laughs> Today in life, we enlist the help of our own in-house fashionista, Maya Nolan Partnow, to debate with me three of the hottest women's fashion trends this summer. I've known Maya for years, a huge fan of her former blog, Own the Sidewalk, and in this quick segment, we will offer our sassiest takes on three top fashion trends. Welcome to, with all due respects, Fashion Focus. The first fashion trend is oversized shoulder pad boyfriend jackets. Create a long line silhouette and play with shapes with an 80s inspired oversized boyfriend blazer. With the help of shoulder pads, this outerwear cinches in your waist and elongates your legs. You can easily dress this up or down for an effortlessly chic aesthetic. Okay, well, the boyfriend jacket is a yes because everyone knows that the best prom look is the look from the end of the night when your date gives you a tuxedo jacket to wear around your shoulders. But as for the shoulder pads, I say leave the linebacker look to actual linebackers. Oversized shoulder pad boyfriend jackets? Girl, just plain no. Look, unless it's 1984 and you're David Byrne of the Talking Heads, you should not be wearing this style. To begin with, it's not flattering. To end with, it's not flattering. However, do you know who else wore her boyfriend jacket? Coco Chanel. In fact, wearing her boyfriend's jacket is how she realized the vision for her entire clothing empire. However, 
Coco Chanel also realized, unlike her boyfriend's jacket, it needed to be fitted. Look, there were a lot of looks in the 80s that should never come back. This is one. So ladies, if you even dream about wearing a boyfriend jacket, you better wake up and break up. Because unless he's draping it over your shoulders to keep you from the night breeze, a boyfriend jacket is not a good look on you. Strong opinions indeed. The second fashion trend is yellow bags. This season, yellow bags have taken over the runways and the streets. This trend is easy to replicate and it's timeless. Choose a small clutch to spice up an outfit or find a mustard tote for your daily needs. There are so many shades to choose from that suit your taste. And they look incredible when paired with other vibrant hues or a monochromatic ensemble. You know, I love a pop of color and I love yellow, which is a really underappreciated color. And I'm not sure why I don't already have a yellow handbag, uh, except that I haven't needed to accessorize a look for leaving the house since last winter. This one, this is a yes for me. Yellow bags? Yes, please. Yellow is one of my favorite pop colors. Bags, scarves, shoes, basically any accessory. A pop of yellow against navy blue or charcoal gray can be magical. My recommendation, a House of Want leather mini tote in lemon. It will provide the pop that don't stop. Yellow is bold, it's daring, it says I'm enlightened. It's a fresh lemon slice in a glass of water. It's, it's, it's a flash of sun on a cloudy day. A big yes on yellow bags, yellow scarves, yellow flats, yellow heels, or whatever. Make that style drop with a pop of yellow, girl. And finally, white knee-high boots. Swing it back to the 60s with this classic go-go dancer's inspired item of footwear. White knee-high boots. Taking its inspiration from the youth revolution in the mid-century, this Nancy Sinatra-approved look is a chic way to elevate your outfit. Mmm, sorry Andy, can't talk right now. I am online buying the white lace-up Doc Bartons that I've been thinking about since I first saw them in Sassy Magazine in 1991. And then probably also a pair of white go-go boots for good measure. White knee-high boots. Oh, most definitely. Look, there are fashions that some people can pull off, and there are those that some people can't pull off. So, if you could pull off white knee-high boots, I say go, go, girl. I love boots for women. I think they're cool, rebellious, edgy. You can do a classic low heel or a chunky heel for a more urban chic. If my wife asks for my opinion on what boots she should wear, I take that as a solemn responsibility. So when I suggest the Eileen Fisher ankle boots in dove gray, I carry that burden on my shoulders for the entire day. Now, with everything, conditions do apply. If your white boots are adorned with tassels and you're not currently a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader, well, that's another episode. But all in all, Nancy Sinatra was exactly right. These boots are made for walking, and they look fabulous on you. In closing comments, Van and I have an announcement on the future of With All Due Respect. This marks our 25th episode since we launched the podcast in May. At the time you hear my voice, With All Due Respect, we'll have over 23,000 downloads and our listenership has grown every episode. The success of our podcast has truly humbled Van and I. But we want something more, something greater. We want something more interesting for our listeners and something more challenging for Van and I. 
when we hit the 50 episode mark, I don't want to look back and see more of the same. I want to look back and see a podcast that evolved. I want to look back and see a podcast that has broken new ground. At this point, I'm going to hand it over to Van for his thoughts. Van? Thanks. Yeah, so we, we've we had a ton of fun putting this together and doing some weird segments, um, and we hope that our listeners have really enjoyed it also, and we think they have. Like you said, the, the downloads have just been incredible, like blew us away. Um, but yeah, we want to make sure that we're still engaging um, new listeners and the same listeners in a way that doesn't get repetitive. So there are a couple things. We wanted to lean a little bit more on history lesson segments or tease them out a little bit more so that not only are we offering opinion and commentary on current events, but we're also helping people to just be informed on how things work in the state government and local governments. So, for example, how exactly does the PFD work? What's the history of it? And how did we get to where we are now? That way we just have a bigger picture, regardless of your opinion, as to how something should move forward. Anyway, we want to be informative, but also fun and engaging. On top of that, we want to add a visual component. So we're thinking about like a YouTube channel. That way, as Andrew's explaining something, we can have visuals accompany that explanation um, to add just another dimension and help people to engage and retain and just be informed. Um, so we're hoping we're hoping to bring some really wild visuals and weird stuff to the very serious um, civic um, information that we hope to provide. So to facilitate the future changes to the podcast, there will be a change in our podcast release days. Currently, with two podcasts a week, we simply do not have enough bandwidth to create the new format. Moving forward. Starting today, we are going to cut back to a single show per week. It will air on Thursdays. This will free up bandwidth and let us get on with rolling out the new podcast format. While we don't have a firm date, we are hopeful that it'll be up and running in September. Van and I want to thank you for listening, and rest assured, the wait will be worth it. There is a closing music, ladies and gentlemen, and you know what that means. Our next podcast will be up Thursday. Van, how about throwing us your website details? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, if you visit abodabobrand.com, that's A-B-O-D-A-B-O-B-R-A-N-D.com, you can see a little bit more about what I do and uh, touch base with me. That is our time, ladies and gentlemen, and we thank you for yours.